we're in the second Sunday of a four-part series called Determining. Ah, what are you having to determine this morning? If I ask you to share with your neighbor, which I won't because it may be a little too private, what it is that you need discernment, what it is that you're working on deciding at this moment, I think our Lord is concerned about the way we determine things and decide them, don't you? Hello? Yeah, I think he is big time. And I want to encourage you to pay close attention through this series, frankly. God's teaching me some new things, some of which I'm going to share with you this morning, an approach I've not taken to discerning and determining, especially the will of God. Just to give you a heads up, next Lord's Day, we're going to talk about determining our responses to categories of people. Think about it. Uh, the Bible categorizes people in three different categories. I'll let you do your own study between now and then, and we'll talk about that next week, and how those people fit in those categories and the way that they respond to us determines how God wants us to respond to them. And I've learned that not a lot of believers, not even church leaders, have thought through that well. And I'm anxious to share with you some things that God has taught Elaine and she has written for me to pass on to you. She writes all my messages. You know that, right? I'm anxious to do that. Well, as we dive into this study, today our text is the same as a week ago, Psalm 119, 105. I'd like to ask us to go before the throne of grace and then invite you to open your copy of the ancient words called the Bible to Psalm 119, 105. Join me in prayer. Father, there are so many people in need of our prayer support this morning and some we've already brought to you. I learned this morning that uh, Mrs. Lawrence's daughter at open heart surgery last Monday came home yesterday. What an answer to prayer. And we praise you and thank you together for that. We're certain that your grace is dealing with those and surrounding those and comforting those who are hurting today. And we long, Father, that you continue to be their comfort for. You alone can do what we cannot do. Your word is alive and has the power to reach their hearts and transform their thinking into a, an attitude and mindset of praise for the good grace that you give people even through an hour of death. Father, we look forward to what you want to say to us this morning. And there's so much in life individually and corporately as a church that would distract us from your truth. Our prayer is simple. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of this your law. Open our ears that we may be being changed into what you want us to be. And open our minds so that my Father... We know better when we leave this study this morning how to determine your will and let it be our guide, not ourselves. 
Help us not to trust our own hearts and lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge you. And then, Father, the prayer of Christ is answered. We can be one as we're all thinking like you. Help us to do that. Open our minds and hearts as we open these ancient words. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to take you to the screen and look at the image one more time as we talk about today determining or discerning the will of God. You remember we said last week on the southeast corner, the road begins. It's like there was a road before that, but you only see this part of the road. And right now I've asked you to determine in your own thinking and mind that as the path appears... It is a look back for you, an historical path that you began the day you accepted Christ as your Savior. The day you became a Christ follower and got on this path as a follower doing life Jesus' way. That was an exciting day, right? Oh my goodness. God, help us not to get so far from that day that we forget the delight and joy. I still remember the night I got saved. I went home and I said, can I call Grandma? I lived in Illinois. Grandma lived in South Carolina. And I wanted Grandma to know that I'd accepted Christ. And Mom said, sure, let's call her. And I called her and got Grandma out of bed that night. And I said, Grandma, I just want you to know as a nine-year-old boy, I want you to know I accepted Christ tonight. And she said, bless your little heart. And I got to tell you, nobody can say that like Grandma. I wish I could hear her voice. One day I will in heaven, but I wish I could hear her voice again. Just say to me, sometimes I feel like a little boy wishing somebody just throw their arms around me and say to me, bless your little heart, but don't try it. Because only grandma can say it the way grandma thinks it and feels it and knows it. What a thrilling day. And I got to go to school the next day and tell my whole third grade class an announcement to them. I accepted Christ last night. That's where I started. And to me, it's just as thrilling today as it was at that moment. That God would let me be a part of his family and walk the path that he's given me to walk. And on the northwest corner, there's a faint path that comes to an end. You see it there, don't you? That northeast corner, that's the time when God calls us home. Elaine and I were talking this week. I'm not looking for the grave. I'm looking for the sky. I love the way the song put it this morning. Christ is coming back in the air and calling me up there. Elaine and I just decided we're going together. And Elaine's going to say on the way up, change him now, Lord, change him now. (laughs) And he will. When he gathers us home, he'll change us. But until then, he has a path for us to walk. And you notice on that path, there are forks in the road. Those are what we're talking about in this study. Do I go left? Do I go right? And those paths, those, as, you, as you get older, you get this, those forks in the road seem to come more often than they used to come. It's like every week there's another determination to be made. 
What do I do here? Which way do I go? And those are serious decisions, and the way we determine them is very critical to our God. Now, there are always voices around you. Would you agree with this, that when you come to the fork, they tell you which way you should go? I know what you should do. Some years ago, I left a church and went to another church to become a pastor. And a guy called me and said, God wants me to pastor the church you left. When I got to the new church, a guy said, I'm surprised you took that church. God wanted me to be the pastor of that church. I wanted to get the two of them together and say, would you please tell me what God wants for me? He doesn't want me in the church past nor in the church I'm going to. Like, there are always voices that know the will of God, what path you should take. My question is, do you really know how to determine which path to take? Now, let me back up before we get there, before I go any further. All the forks on this image are still taking you to the same place. We talked about that last Lord's Day in these terms. There is a planned will of God for you and me. It's the path that ends up according to his plan. We may take a few different routes by our choices and decisions, but we still end up in the same place. God had that plan for Christ and he has one for you and he has one for me. God has a commanded will. And those commandments are what decide whether we take the left or the right fork when we come to it. Now back to it. A lot of people tell us whether to go left or right and their advice is not always that helpful. Do you know how to red flag advice? Do you know how to think through whether or not it is legitimate or good? I'm going to show you some advice that's given. This last week, guys, let me give you some advice, okay? This is good. Your wives will appreciate it. If you really want to strengthen your marriage every once in a while, watch a chick flick on TV with her. Are you here? Hallmark has some great ones. Elaine and I don't watch much TV, so much garbage on it. But uh, Hallmark has some great stuff. It has some good morals to it. But even the good ones have some pretty bad advice. We watched one this week in which a mom said to her adult daughter, who was a single mom, Listen to this. When you don't know what to do, she said to her daughter, when you don't know what to do, hon, follow your heart. And if your heart has been recently wounded like yours was, follow your gut. I'm going, like, what? <laughs> Elaine looked at me and I looked at her and neither one of us need to, needed to say a word. Because we have this habit of whenever we see something on TV that sounds so good, and boy, I listen to your mom, it's like, 
Where's that in the Bible? And every once in a while, a red flag goes off. And both of us looked at each other, and we didn't even talk. We just were saying in our own heads, man, if I followed my heart, I'd be in a big mess because my heart is a deceitful thing and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's a rhetorical question. And what it really means is I can't even know my own heart. Better not follow it. Are you with me? It's a red flag. Let me give you another one. Whenever the time is right, it will be the right time. I read that this week. It's like that's that Yogi Berra book that we looked at last week. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. No help. Here's another. If I make the right decision, it will feel like soft, warm, molten honey trickling through my veins. I am so ready for that kind of advice. I really think I'd rather keep the blood flowing through my veins than molten honey. Have confidence in yourself as a decision maker. Seems to me the Bible says lean not on your own understanding. Don't have confidence in yourself. Lean not on your own understanding. We have a better path to follow than that. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will direct your path. Have you learned how to red flag advice? And by the way, no matter who it comes from, I've given some pretty bad advice to Elaine. It's her chance to say amen. She says silently, say amen for her. Oh, you, that's the best amen you've given in a long time. My beloved, there's some dear friends who sat down with a man named Job. And if he'd listened, would have messed him up big time. There's a wife who said to the same man, curse God and die. I don't want to see you going through this pain. God, just take him home. In essence, is the advice, bad advice. Sometimes the people we love the most and who are even spiritual people have carnal moments Give us bad advice, which is why the scriptures declare that even when your pastors are speaking the word of God in front of you, lay what they say next to the word of God and make certain it is so. Don't trust what you hear and what you think and what you think and what you say. Trust only the word of God which is the text that I bring you as our foundation for the first part of the two-part study here in discerning the will of God. I want to read to you verse 104 before we read verse 105. The first part of verse 104 says, Through your precepts, Lord, I get understanding. How on earth do we determine the will of God? He just gave the answer, through your precepts. And then he made this announcement in verse 105 on the heels 
of having said your precepts give me understanding. He said, your, read it with me, it's on the screen, read it out loud, it's a great choir together. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We talked about it last Lord's Day, the light on our feet is simply a small glistening light that is bright enough to show us next steps, not bright enough to see well down the road. And your word, when we don't know what to do, not only don't know what direction to go, but we don't know what step to take, your word shows us the step. And then your word is a light to my path. This is the broader, bigger light. It's the floodlight that shines as far as you can see. And it shows you the general direction of life. Take that path. What determines the path that I take? The psalmist said it is your book. Now, I've given some good sermons that are not necessarily God's sermons in the past, giving advice on how to determine the will of God. I have a three or four S sermon. You can determine the will of God by the scriptures. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that's the verse we just read. You can determine the will of God by stops. Sometimes the angel of the Lord stands in the pathway. You can determine the will of God by circumstances. Well, that stops. By special spiritual friends. And you can determine the will of God just by the voice of the Spirit of God within you. Sounds like a good message, right? Here's the problem with that message. How do you know whether the spirit that's speaking to you is God's spirit or a demonic spirit? Well, I can feel the difference. Yeah, well, tell that to Peter who said, don't go to the cross, Lord. I love you too much to let you go there. Did he tell the difference? No. What about spiritual friends? We just talked about them in Job's life. They were spiritual men, but the counsel they gave was not of God. What about those stops, those closed doors? Sometimes open doors are elevators with an open shaft waiting on the other side. I don't think you want to just walk through a door because it's open or shut. How do you know who opened the door? How do you know who shut it? It all boils down to this. You test the stops. You test the spirit. You test the counsel from spiritual friends by laying it all next to the scriptures. So I've come to say this morning, there is but one thing by which we may determine the will of God, and that's the scriptures. That's it. Maybe that's why Paul said to his young men to read, Tim, Timothy, listen up. The scriptures thoroughly equip you for every good work. There is nothing in this life that can happen to you that the scriptures don't resolve. They are what determine our path and our steps. And all who care to said, I've changed the way I approach 
yet. For the first time today, I've done an Old Testament study. I want to do it with you for the first time in my life. I've done an Old Testament study on the will of God. And I believe it's transcultural and spills over into the New Testament. And I want to show you three concepts that are beginning to transform my thinking about discerning and determining the will of God. And I hope it helps you. I so want to help you. Why? You're getting ready to decide on the next pastor. You're getting ready to vote on some constitutional changes. One is not nearly as big as the other, but both feel important, don't they? Hello? Don't they? The question is, how do you determine? What have you used to determine your thinking, the path, the next step, and the long-term path for determining anything and everything in your forks in the road, corporately or individually? How do you determine it? Watch this. Here's what I'm learning. Being comes before knowing. I hope I can help you understand. Those are my words, and not some sermon outline I read. I just found this concept in the book of Psalms, same book we're in, verse 25, or chapter 25, verse 14. The secret of the Lord. Sometimes does the will of God seem secret? Hello? Anybody who says the will of God is always easy to decipher and discern hasn't been to a major fork in the road yet. Once you get there, write it down. It's not always easy to know. I said it a week ago, and I stand by it. It's not that God is upstairs in heaven looking down saying, I'm going to put this mountain between you and me so you don't see my will. And sort of playing hide and seek. Gotcha. You don't know my will. I'm keeping it from you. You got to work harder than that to find me. I don't think God is doing that. I think he's done everything divinely possible to reveal it. But the problem is his revealed will is not easily discerned by this natural mind and natural heart. So if it isn't easy to find because it's a secret, our minds are blinded to it. We are born dead. How do dead people think they don't? We need quickened. We need enlightened. We need to see that which is secret. How do we discern the will of God? The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. Say that with me. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. Did you get that? And he reemphasizes the same concept. With those who fear him, he will show them his covenant. Again, which is not easily understood by the blinded mind that we're born with. We need the will of God open to us. And he says, you have it. It will be opened and unveiled to those who fear him. Now look at me, will you? I wish you were closer. 
By the way, church, there are always empty seats up front. My goodness, join me. Not now, but next Sunday. I won't embarrass you now. Church, we fleshly enjoy doing. Very little time is spent on our being. You with me? There's a man who came to Christ one day and said, what must I do to have eternal life? Do you remember him? His rich dude. Jesus said to him, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Then you will inherit eternal life. Sounds like Jesus is saying, here's what you do. But Jesus, in giving him that doing command, understood that it wasn't in the doing of it that was the heart issue that this guy needed to grab hold of. Jesus understood he needed to get to his being, his passion, the center of his, that which he revered and honored and loved. And let me back up just for a minute and say, the word fear is used 382 times in the Old Testament. And that word, my beloved, has so many nuances in the Old Testament that sometimes it's hard to define what it means. Be afraid of, stand in awe of. But the general use of it in different nuances is just to honor. To put first. To put in the exalted place. And so when our text says, put in the exalted, or fear, fear him, fear God, it means put him in the most exalted place in your life. And when Jesus said, go, sell all that you have, what was he saying to the rich dude? He was saying, stop putting your money first and make the honor and passion and awe and that which you revere in your life replace the money with God. Put him first. Jesus wasn't saying in doing, you will have eternal life. He was saying in being, being an individual whose highest delight and greatest joy is to honor God. Listen very carefully. In those seasons of my life when it seemed the will of God was hidden, in those seasons, Quite non-coincidentally, in those seasons, my highest delight and greatest passion was not the God of heaven and earth. It was my own desire, my own will. I revered me. I battle that often, do you? Don't leave me confessing alone, church. Do you? Please hear it. I don't want my own will. I want the will of him who sent me, my Lord said. And to the extent that I can be being like him in heart, my greatest.
greatest delight and passion is God. Him first. To that extent, the will of God is then being unveiled to me, and I don't have to go search for it. To say, help me discern the will of God, may well at some points in our lives be saying, God's not on the throne. I am. Being comes before knowing. Would somebody say amen? Let me give you a second one that I'm just learning. Thinking comes before knowing. You know the passage, it's Romans chapter 12, the last part of the first verse and the second verse goes like this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, read what's in caps out loud with me, by the renewing of your mind. One more time, by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect, here it is, will of God. How do I prove the will of God? How do I know the will of God? Listen, beloved. I know it by changing my thinking. And the moment I change my thinking in the way that God's talking about here, in that moment, the will of God is no longer veiled to me. He opens my mind and heart to his will when my thinking is replaced with his thinking. Quick word about this phrase, and I hope in the future I'll be able to spend more time with you here. But this is such an important phrase, renewing your mind. What is it to be transformed and not be conformed to the world? There was a day in my life I would have said it's all outward doing stuff. It's coming to church. It's tithing. It's singing the songs of the faith vibrantly. It's serving in some ministry. It's doing all this good stuff. No, my beloved, discerning and or being separate from the world is not, oh, by the way, and it's not the length of our hair or the length of the skirts that women wear. That was years ago stuff, right? Did I just go retro on you? <laughs> I hope we're past that kind of stuff. It's not the outside stuff, beloved, that makes a difference. It's the inside stuff. It's the way we think, again, not what we are doing. Be renewed in your thinking. The word renewed, I illustrated several different ways, but that word renewed is like having a is not like having a dirty shirt that you worked in all weekend and then you take it and put it in the washing machine and pour the tide and pour the bleach and pour the whatever it takes to get the stains out. You pour that in, wash it up, and you have a lovely wife who will serve you by ironing the shirt. Who does that anymore? 
And then you put it back on and say, I renewed this shirt. No, that's not what renewed means. You've got to get it. The word here means take that old, stinky thing off and put it where it belongs in the garbage because it will not help you anymore. And put on this new shirt, this robe of righteousness that I give you. And in taking it and putting it on, you've discarded what was old and you've replaced it with what I give you. Now watch what he says. Do that to your mind. This isn't brainwashing. This isn't just doing whatever the preacher says do or whatever other people who no matter how well-meaning and sometimes spiritual they are, what they expect you to think. It is taking out of my thinking, my natural thinking, and replacing it with God's. God's after your head and mine. You believe that? He's after the way I think. By the way, that's why he put his precepts in black and white. So that we read them and think through them and know what to replace our thinking with. You're not separated from the world, nor am I. Unless and until my thinking is set aside and replaced with God's. That's it. Can I let you in on a little secret took me years and years, over half my ministry, even to start this, and I haven't arrived yet. But every once in a while, God lets me go through some stuff where those who come with their thinking, I have to set it aside and say, there wasn't one reference to the thinking of God in what was stated, the advice that was given help me determine left or right. If you're with me, you're beginning to get the point. I know God's will when you bring to me God's truth and the principles that are guiding the counsel that you give me. Without that, frankly, I love you and your thinking is as good as mine. But in shepherding, is this not the kind of shepherd you want in the future? I want the guy who replaces his own thinking and my thinking with the word of God that is driven by those principles. Amen? And then, last thing God's teaching me, I saw it in the Old Testament really for the first time. I'm not sure they didn't add these verses since I read the Old Testament. I joke. I, I didn't mean that. Doing comes before knowing. This is all about how important obedience is. Bottom line, if I'm not obedient, then I'm not in a state of mind and heart and being that allows me to know the will of God. Watch this. Psalm 111, verse 10. A good understanding. Whose understanding is good? 
Hello? God's. His alone. Didn't Jesus say that when he talked to a man who said, why call you me good? Only God is good? Are you confessing that I am God? Was his real question. The point is only God's understanding is good. And the good understanding that comes from God have all those who read what's in uh, all caps with me. All those who do his commandments. One more time. Do all those who obey. I got to wrap it up. I'm out of time here. Let me just say those times in my life, just like I confessed earlier, that I struggle most with discerning and knowing the will of God, non coincidentally, honestly have been those times when I knew what he wanted me to do and didn't do it. And then I'm perplexed and ask, why don't you show me your will, God? It's like, I did already. What did you do with it, Larry? Take care of that, and that which perplexes you now I'll take care of with you and for you. Just obey. As counterintuitive as the thinking of this world and the thinking of carnal sometimes people around me are, as counterintuitive as it is, it doesn't make sense, but you say do it, so I will obey. Those are the moments the will of God has just opened up to me. Does that help you, any? Let's see, what have we learned? Being comes before knowing. Say it with me. Being comes before knowing. Thinking comes before knowing. Say it with me. Thinking comes before knowing. Doing comes before knowing. Say it with me. Doing comes before knowing. Your turn. So knowing the will of God is impossible apart from the word of God. The word of God replacing my thinking. The God of the word replacing me on the throne of my own life and heart, my holding him in a place of honor, above all, wanting to please him above all, and doing what he says, the will of God, found in the word of God. That is how I determine the will of God in my life. The next step and the path he has for me. Lay all the voices that are telling you what to do. This is a big so. Lay all the voices that are telling you what to do next to the word of God. Are those voices governed by what Jesus would think and say and do? Are those voices governed by a Christ-like pattern 
that arranges its life under all the umbrellas that ultimately lead to God's protection. Are those voices calling me to do that? If not, I move out from under God's protection. Tell me you remember that study. And if I don't do the mind and will of the Lord, what hope do I have of knowing the will of God in other areas in my life? None. So stand with me, please. Make a fresh commitment. Deacons are coming right now and they're praying at this altar. They've asked for the privilege of doing this every week, not as if they even had to ask. Please come, gentlemen, and join them here at the front as you pray with them for a pastor who will be a man who puts God first, who thinks, replaces his own thinking with God's thinking, and who does the very will of God, knowing how to discern what others are advising him to do by laying it next to the book. Those are critical for your next pastor, right? Those are critical things for you. I hope this has been a help. Just say in your prayer as we sing together, just say, Lord, replace my will with yours. Take over my thinking. Help me to do what your word reveals I must do. Oh God, not my will, but yours be done. Help me to determine it correctly. With heads and hearts bowed, let's uh, sing together. Those who know the words, join in singing. At least pray earnestly. Come if God's working on your heart to determine.